0: Today's Old Testament reading is from Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the morning... If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. This is the word of the Lord. The Old Testament text and our sermon text for today is Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Where's Jonah? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what, would, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. Hello to everyone.
1: Thank you for coming today. Um, For those of you who have trouble with pollen, Welcome to Zurich. Um, This has been a most interesting time for me. I do suffer from hazelnut and other similar pollens, and uh, to the last night was one of the most intensive evenings I've shared in Zurich. Anyway, that be as it may, I'd like to welcome each one of you who have made the uh, effort and taken time to come and to join with us in person. I'm really very pleased to see how God has enabled us now as a church family to come back together. That just being together is so incredibly important as that not only feeds our need for interacting with others, but it actually feeds our spiritual soul to be together with those who know God personally and to interact with them. And also thank you who have joined us on Zoom, and we're thankful that you've made the effort to be with us there. And of course, we'd love to have you as you feel that you can to join us here. And for those of you I have not met yet, uh, please, and you come, and you're here maybe the first time for some time, please come up after the service, introduce yourself to me and to my wife, Lois. Uh, We'd really love to uh, get to know you a bit more. Today we're going to talk and begin a short sermon series from this book in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah. Now God's Bible is given to us first and foremost to reveal and to explain to us or to introduce us to God himself. Of course, it tells us the way we can have eternal life. It also instructs us of how we live the life as those who follow God. It talks to us about God's moral structure. It talks to us about God and all the different things he does. But ultimately, it is a book to introduce us to, to help us to get to know God himself. As we uh, went through the book of 1 John together, it took several weeks to go through that. You remember how there John uses, as God the Holy Spirit has inspired him to write, he uses two concepts or two ideas, two thoughts, two descriptions of God that help us understand and have more of a getting a hold of in our minds, in our thoughts, and in our person who God is. Remember how he wrote, God is light. And in him is no no darkness at all. And so he introduces us to this idea of God who is almighty, but God being light. And we talked several times how John introduces the idea that that light, God being light, he reveals to us first and foremost God himself. But being light, he also exposes within our heart, our soul, our inner person, those things which God desires to change or to grow and develop or those things we need to address. So God being light, He reveals Himself to us, but He also exposes within our heart and soul. But John did not leave us there as he taught us about God. He took us in chapter 4 to this amazing statement, God is love. The light of God reveals and exposes. The love of God transforms and changes us. The love of God is that part of the power of God that makes us become who He has created us in Jesus Christ to be. Remember I told us there, one of the first things that love of God helps us is to identify the fact that we are children of God. And it's almost as he is writing by the inspiration of God's Spirit, the immensity of what he has just written through the inspiration. And he says, and we are the children of God. And then there's almost an audible pause where he says, and that's exactly who we are, the children of God. The love of God identifies us as His. But the love of God is also that power of God that transforms us from the inside out as it conforms our heart, our soul, our spirit, our innermost being to become more and more like God as God lives in us and we live in God and God changes us. And John wrote, and you will know this is happening because we learn to love the brothers. We learn to love His commandments And then it also tells us we then learn what we should not love. It identifies that for our heart. We should not love the world nor the things of the world. So that God is light, revealing, exposing. God is love, showing us we belong to Him, and then changing us from the inside out. So John, in all he wrote to instruct us, he led us to this concept about God. Now, in the Old Testament, it is also a book that teaches us about God. And Jonah, um, I, I like very much the way it is written in your printout in the bulletin. If you just grab that for a moment and look with me again at those verses from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. If you look with me, let's just see what is the most important Feature the most important emphases of chapter 1. Now, I find that as I study the Bible, God's Bible, the things that to me that are very helpful in understanding what the main thing is, is very frequently God has repeated it. Look at the thing that is continually being repeated. If you read in verse 1, And as you read there, you will find, And now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, identifies his father, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, and the message he was to preach. You'll notice in verse 1, that Lord, in that translation, as well as many more modern English translations, is all in caps. That's because it's a special name for God. But it's not only there. Look in verse 3. And from Tarshish he fled from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Job. And then if you jump down with me to verse 4. But the Lord. And then if you go to verse 9, it comes again. If we come down, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. And then if we want to look to to verse 14, there it comes uh, three times. It says, they, they called out to the Lord. This is a very profound verse because these are sailors who all of a sudden have found that there's a greater deity. There's a greater God. There's one who is beyond the sea and the capacities. And they turn in their hearts and they cry out to him and they say, Lord, O Lord, two times. And then for you, O Lord, have done this. And then in verse uh, 16 again, they feared the Lord and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And then in verse 17, as it changes, it says, and the Lord appointed, or the Lord had prepared a great fish. In those few verses, 11 times, the name of God, this name of God, is used again and again and again and again to show us that this is the Feature or the idea, the concept of God that we need to deal with in Jonah chapter 1. Well, what does that word, it is in English we often call this the name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh. It comes and the way God introduces it is to uh, Moses in Exodus chapter 3. I've often mentioned to you several times at least That the book of Exodus, the second book of Moses, the second book in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language in which it was written, it does not have the name Exodus. That came later as they translated it into other languages. The original name of that book is the book of names. Whose names? Well, through the book of Exodus, God will introduce Himself again and again and again and He will use these names and after He introduces Himself to Moses by this name, I am who I am or Yahweh or Jehovah, He will then use and introduce Himself And he will hyphenate, I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I am Jehovah Nisi. I am Jehovah Raphaim. And each thing describing himself, introducing himself to his people in a more personal and understandable way. But Jehovah itself, that I am that I am. You see, that's in the part of the dialogue or the discussion between Moses and God where Moses is told by God, I have heard, I have seen, and I want to help and redeem or save my people. And because I want to do this, because this is the will of God, I send you. And that's the same problem we're going to find with Jonah. You see, this identity, and then Moses comes back to him in this account in chapter 3, and he says, well, God, if I did go, And the people ask me, who is this God? Who is he that is coming and wants to save you? And he says, and what is his name? And that's where God chooses this name to introduce himself. Jehovah, or I am, it means, literally, it could mean, I am who you need me to be. And often it means I will be present. I am the God who is with you. I was the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob and now I will be your God. Remember how Jesus takes that text. When the people question him about the resurrection, he says, no, 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 no. You do not know the Bible, nor do you know the power of God. Because he said, I am the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. They are alive, not dead. And so this God who is living this God who introduces himself as I am to be your personal God. Wow. That's what Jehovah's all about. And so in the book, in chapter one, we have this. German is so much better at this point. Engpass. How do we say that in English? We have this kind of collision of wills, and there's not enough space for both. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and said. First thing it points out about this God who's Jehovah, this God who's a personal God, is he's a God who speaks. I remember when one time I was reading to our children, one of the C.S. Lewis children's series. And in one of the books there's this incredible moment where Aslan, which I really enjoyed this personification of Jesus Christ in the form of a lion. The reason I really enjoyed it, when I went first to the first place I went as a missionary, the name literally for lion in that language was Aslan. And that made a lot of sense to me then. But in this, he comes into a world which is not yet formed. And the way He creates is all of a sudden He bursts out into song. And as He hits a deep place, there is a valley and a river. And as He hits higher, there is a cliff going up. And as He hits a high note, there are alps and there are trees. And this concept of God speaking and creating, that's almighty. But here it says, this God who introduces Himself as Jehovah, comes and he speaks to his individual uh, people who follow him can I ask you a question how many of you have ever heard God speak I'm not necessarily talking about an audible voice but speaking to you within your heart and your soul maybe through something you are reading and all of a sudden a verse becomes living out of the Bible and you've never seen it like that before Or all of a sudden as you're sitting there and thinking a thought comes and you realize, wait a minute, this is not normally from me. Or something comes and all of a sudden you're presented with a situation that you know you need to fix. You've left it in a messy state in life and you maybe have said, I will go back and fix it at some time. And there's this gentle nudging, this sense of this is something that needs to be done. The voice of God speaking. The first thing it says in verse 1 is that God speaks. And then what you find is that Jonah, of course, runs. It's interesting. He fulfills the first thing. God says, arise, go to Nineveh. And if you read on in the next verse, it says that Jonah rose. First part of the instruction of God, he, he fulfills. But then he runs away to, Nar- or to, excuse me, to Tarshish. God said, go here. And he chose to go here. At this moment, we see described in the Bible where the will of man here and the will of God come into conflict. The struggle about the book of of Jonah is this, is all of us seem to have a bit of Jonah in our will and mind. And sometimes we know God says here, and we say, but I think here. Really, what that is coming down to is this personal God, Jehovah, what authority does he have? Does he have the authority to do what he wants to do? Is his will good? Or is it that which I choose and pick? And we find through all of chapter one again and again, and is demonstrated that God, this Jehovah, this God who is personal, He has authority. And Jonah has fled away from that authority, and it could have been he fled from that. When we get to chapter 3, we find the message he needed to give, and God is going to be very forthright with the people who live in Nineveh. History tells us they were a wicked people they deserve judgment, but God is coming and saying, this is coming. Not the most comfortable message to be giving, is it? I think where we in 2022 struggle with the authority of a personal God alive and functioning in our lives are in these two areas. One, the will of God for us and whether our will or His will is what we follow. And then two, the message. Because in 2022, where God says to these people in Nineveh, what you have done, and actually in some translations would say, has come up in my face like a smell. That's how God described sin. In our world, it's very difficult to not become judgmental which we cannot do as Christians, but at the same time understand that God fully loves the sinner and yet does not affirm the sin. And so Jonah is in this case and he's running. And I I found this very interesting as he tried to run away from God, as we heard today and the uh, message from the children. And, you know, there's no way one can flee God. Psalm 139, which was read to us, where would I go from your spirit? I like another paraphrase when you get to verse 10 and where it says, and if I took the wings of the morning and I flew to the end of the earth, when I got there, you would be there waiting for me. There is no place that we can remove ourselves from or escape this God who loves us at that level. Let me just read to you also what he says in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 24. Very simple, easy to remember, easy to, because the reference is just 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And ultimately, God is asking almost a, It's not just a rhetorical question. But he's making a statement. There's no place we can go to get away from God. Now, what makes it even more complex is when the Lord then steps in and he begins, it says, hurl the great wind against and upon the ship. You see, is this personal God really the God Almighty who has the power to step into my life. And the power to work throughout creation and whatever He wills. And in this you find it happening. You know, maybe we could call this there's a moments of God's providence. Where simply God works. I, I, I just read a, a lovely definition of providence. Let me read it to you. God's caring provision for His people as he guides them in their journey of faith through their lives, accomplishing his purpose in them. God's caring provision for his people as he guides them in all their journey of faith through their lives, accomplishing his purpose in them. See, the provision of God means God working in us personally but also at the point where the will of God is established in our daily lives I remember one time visiting missionary teams in the country of Ireland a lovely beautiful place the man took me out to the coast and as we were at the coast it was a place where the sea came in and there was a jut of land going out and as he said you see that And I said, yes, it looks interesting. And uh, then all of a sudden he said, and right here is where John Newton sailed his ship between these two pieces of land. And then he told me the story. He said, you know, John Newton, uh, before he became uh, a worker in church and before he wrote the song Amazing Grace, he owned a slave ship. And he traveled with that from one place to the other. And when he was sailing at that time off that coast, all of a sudden he hit a storm, maybe something like what we find here with Jonah. Anyway, it it snapped the main mast of his ship, which meant that there was no way he could control or do anything with his ship. And he knew that he was about to die. And like sometimes those of us in a desperate situation, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I have, I've kind of shot this arrow prayer into heaven, God help me. That's what John Newton did. He said, God, if you save me, I will serve you. And then the man, as he said, and at that moment, according to his diaries, the storm stopped, and a gentle wind came and brought him exactly in the place where we were looking. And he said, at that moment, according to his diaries, he fell on his knees, and he repented to God. Now you might say, that's just luck. I think it's providence. God moving. In our missionary years, I remember we were great planners, but sometimes we lacked the detail. You here in Switzerland are so much better. Anyway, what we did is we planned to journey uh, thousands of kilometers and meet two friends coming from a very persecuted place in, as Christians. And they would travel this direction thousands of kilometers. We would travel this direction thousands of kilometers. We would meet in a city of six to ten million. And we had the day we would meet. And we knew that that city we would meet in, the only problem is we forgot to say where and when. So they came, we came, city of six to ten million. And all of a sudden we realized we'd forgotten to fix the time and place. And so I remember saying, Well, what do we do? And the man who'd arranged it said, Well, we must pray. And so we prayed. And as in the middle of the prayer time, it didn't go on very long, he jumped up and said, We gotta go. I said, Where are we going? He said, I don't know, but we gotta go. And so he jumped up and we walked out. I remember we walked out the front door of the place we were staying. We turned to the left, walked approximately 20 meters, turned again to the left. And almost bumped headlong into two people we thought we should recognize, but we were almost passed them, and they said, "Hey, Buruda!" Yes, it was them." Now could be luck? I think it's Providence. And I could go on for the next hour and tell you about people who appeared out of the place of nowhere. And told people you need to go here. And you need to stand here. And you need to stay here. And you will be safe. And they turned around to sank them. And no one was present. The providence of God. You are here this morning by the providence of God. Because this personal God. This God Jehovah. Wants to speak into your life and mine. And see his perfect will worked out in it. And so God moves, and what happens is those people who have given him a place on the ship, they find that they are struggling with a storm much greater than sailors know as normal. And so they're crying out, and eventually as you read down in the verses, you'll find they, they cast the freight overboard, which means they were definitely fearing their lives. And then they come and find Jonah sleeping in the bottom of the ship. You see, Jonah, God said, here. And Jonah said, no, I'm going here. Then he literally physically checked out. He physically walked away. And then I think because he was down in the ship's hold, and I don't know about you, but if you're in a storm and the ship is going up and down and up and down, I don't think I could sleep very well in the bottom unless I was emotionally exhausted. So he checks out physically. And then he also does it emotionally. Believing if I turn it off physically and I turn it off emotionally, I then have shut down the spiritual channel of God into my heart and soul. Have you ever tried that? You hear the word of God speaking to you and all of a sudden you try to change places. You try to do something different to move your mind. Or you shut down emotionally and if people come and start to speak to you about it, I have done it sometimes, where my response has been anything but gracious. It's almost as if I was a dog upon whose tail you wanted to step, and he turned from being a loving person to a... Rawr. We've seen it, haven't we? How do we deal with God calling us? <laughs> And then the amazing thing is not only that, but then look, they wake him up because they realize something is happening in that order. And look what they say to tell us on whose account this evil has happened and why. Listen to his confession. I am a Hebrew. In other words, I'm very religious. I fear the Lord. Well, actually, God said go this way, and you went that way. God said this way, and you said that way. The amazing thing is sailors who knew nothing about the God he was talking about except they had experienced the greatness of his power in the seas and what they were going with and understood he was greater than they. And yet they, as they heard him with this account, they, they said, what are you doing, man? If your God is like this, why are you doing this? You see, he struggled with the authority of God. And it was only in this moment that he could understand that God's authority was leading him into something else. And he went through and he said, that's because of me. And he said, um, you know, if you just... I'm the one who's guilty. It's amazing. He said, and why, what have you done? He tells him that. He says... And I know it is because of me that this tempest has come upon you. And then the men didn't want to throw him overboard. You see, because they were afraid now no longer of the sea. There's a very interesting verse as you get into it in verse 15 and 16 where it says the people feared the sea deeply, the sailors. But then when they actually took him and threw him overboard and the sea stopped, it says, and they then exceedingly much more than the fear of the sea, they exceedingly feared this Jehovah God who could bring a storm and stop a storm. But you see, they pleaded, say, oh Lord, don't make us throw him overboard because they understood from his story that this God was also a God of justice. If you've done this, he is saying, then this is what happens and Jonah said, and I know if you take me and put me overboard, then God will stop the storm. Two things. They knew he was a God of justice. And sometimes we struggle with the justice of God. Have you ever cried out, oh, that doesn't seem fair. And yet here we find as he works he brings sailors who do not know him in verse 16 to bowing and sacrificing and making vows. In other words, they got themselves into a relationship with this God Jehovah. This God they had never even heard of before and they had seen him demonstrated in what he had done. But Jonah, we'll talk more about it in a couple weeks. But you see, he says I I am a Hebrew, I... I in our present world that would mean we would say, but I'm a Christian and I fear the Lord of heaven, the one who created the earth and the sea and yet he says this and I do this God says this and I do this I think one of the struggles that church has in 2022 is so many Christians say, we serve a God like this, but then we do this. And the people who see us doing this begin to question, is our God really like this? And the struggle, but the reality I find Is that within me, there are some of these similar characteristics to we read about Jonah? I know so much, but do I live at the place of what I say I know? So Jonah comes. Now, the good thing is, he confesses, but you know, there's a bit of a hollow. Noise ringing in his confession. Because he says, I'm the guilty one. I did it. I'm wrong. But instead of saying, now gather around me and let's sacrifice to the Lord, just like they're going to do in verse 16. He says, just throw me overboard. I deserve it. You see, he was not ready, even at that point, to say, God has said this, and he's still going this way. Okay, I deserve it, I'm going this way. But rather than coming back to God and repenting, you see, sometimes we just say the right words, but we don't mean it in our heart. The difference between confessing is we're saying the right words, repenting is we're meaning it with our heart. Because to define repentance means we're going this way and it's a 180 degree turn we end up going this way. We no longer say, well God said this and I do this. We no say, if God is saying that I go here. But the wonderful thing about the book of Jonah is this. God Jehovah our personal God is a God of second chances. And I don't know about you, but I do know about this person standing here named Dennis. I have needed second chances. Probably to the, I don't know, number of times squared. But what I found is this God who wants to know me personally comes again and again and again. And I would just like to leave us there as we consider this account of Jonah. But as we go, I would just like to say this. Is there anything in your life where God has said this? And you consciously, maybe shutting it down emotionally, maybe shutting it down physically by moving, by not doing this, not reading God's word, not listening to music, staying away from Christian friends or whatever, where God has said to do this, And you are still doing this. This morning we're going to in just a few moments have communion. Communion is not a time to stay away. But if I understand the reading correctly, what communion is, is search your heart. And if God has said this and you find yourself here, the moment is now then to repent of here and turn and come back to him. That the perfect Will of God. What does Paul write in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? He says, "Oh, church, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice to him that you may know what the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God is for our lives. It's a great promise of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for each one of us here. And we know, Lord, it is kind of a dichotomy that in the very chapter you teach us about this personal, this God who wants to be involved in our lives. This God who comes to us again and again, this God of second chances, how you work, and how you bring us to that point. And yet, Lord, at the same time, in that, love and that tenderness and that reaching out to us. There is also your presenting us with your will and what you're asking us to do. And Lord, we want today to see both of those merge together in our lives. That we know that we are walking in your will. Bless us and lead us We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to just go with us now into communion. We've talked a lot about this in the last weeks. On Monday, Thursday evening, we talked about the idea of how Communion comes out of the Passover and how Jesus was the great Passover lamb from God. And how when he took the bread and that process and he said, this is my body. Of course, they understood maybe much more deeply than we did. But this is what we're invited to today. You see, we've been studying about in the book of Jonah. We've been studying about a God who is personal. A God who's involved in our lives in all ways and working out his will. Also, one of the derivatives of the name Jehovah is the word from which we take the name Jesus. That moment when God became incredibly personal and Matthew describes it as he describes his birth to come and he says, and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people, and then immediately continues writing, quoting from the prophet Isaiah, saying, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. There is no greater demonstration of how personal God wants to be with you and me than what we celebrate today that reminds us that he gave his life for us. He broke the bread and said, this is my body, and he gave the bread to them, so it represents his body, which took upon himself all of our sin. And then at the end of the meal, after they'd eaten, he took this cup, which was the cup of redemption, and he says, and this is the new covenant in my blood. In that moment when God moves from the old to the new covenant and it is inaugurated, it is put into place by the very death and life giving of Jesus for us. And that covenant of course is I will be your God and you will be my people. And I will write my law, or I'll put my law in your mind, I will write it on your heart. You will all know me and you will not need any to teach you because I will teach you that personal God, and then eventually that tremendous phrase and I will remember your sin no more. To forgive to the point where it will never be called up before the throne of God again. And when we celebrate this, what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says and you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. We believe Jesus died on the cross for us. And we believe he is risen from the dead. You know, today is Orthodox Easter. One of the beautiful ceremonies they have at sunrise, some of our folks went to the lake and worshiped. There they have a beautiful ceremony where the congregation goes inside. Excuse me, the, the pastor or the priest goes inside and shuts the door. And as the dawn is getting ready, the congregation Rotate around the church and they begin this chant, Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And at that moment, the sun comes up, they open the door and they come out and say, Jesus is risen. And that's what he's saying we're doing when we celebrate this together. And as I said earlier in the sermon, If you're here today and all of a sudden you've been thinking, well, there are some things I need to get right. There are some things that God said you need to do this, and I went and did this. Or I'm not there yet. Could you just take a moment in your person and bring that to God? Just like the sailors did. Sacrifice, make your vow, and then come and partake. So I'm going to pray and then the elders will join me and then please form two groups and come from both sides and go back and then we'll take the elements together. The Lord bless you. Father, thank you again for this time together. Thank you that we can worship you and really be here. To know that Jesus is our personal God and to know, Lord, as we have celebrated in these last Easter weeks that you died on the cross and you're risen from the dead. But that is not the end of the story, so to speak. The reality is that you're coming again and we can know you and expect your coming. So Lord, as we partake of this, we worship you. We thank you that your body was broken for us. We thank you that your blood was given your life, that you could begin the new covenant with us.